Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor. Can you give Pastor Stephen a big hand as he goes back? Keep your hands warm because I want you to clap one more time. It was really amazing hearing the Riley, uh, I don't want to call you kids because I hate being called kids, but the Riley family lead worship. I'm also a pastor's kid and I always hated it when I was called a kid. But I will say actually, um, I know Jana went to ORU and Pastor went to ORU. I don't know, did anyone others go to ORU? You went, okay, so a lot of people went to ORU. I felt very at home this morning because most, actually I think everybody but myself in my family have also gone to ORU. So chapel, um, I've heard Dr. Wilson, I've been to all of the graduations. It felt very familiar today, so that was kind of a special thing, and I'm honored to be able to minister with you guys, by the way. That was amazing. Um, Sometimes when I preach, God gives me options, or at least I've felt like that. I would say, God, what do you want me to preach about? And I would sense that he would allow me to kind of have a certain level of leeway or negotiation. Have you ever tried to negotiate with God, by the way? I've tried to negotiate with God on a couple of different things. Sometimes he's cool. This time he was not, well, God's always cool, but he was not cool with the negotiations. I was praying, and the pastor had asked me several weeks ago, actually, if I would be willing to speak today. And I really had in my heart the topic come up quickly, like within that first week. And I was like, okay, Lord. And so as as the weeks kind of kept coming on by, um, to let you know a little bit about myself, I don't have a great attention span. My fiance can tell you that. I have a hard time focusing. And so I was like, okay, well, it's been a long time. I've been thinking about this sermon. Maybe I can preach something else so I can just kind of think about something else. I've been thinking about this same thing for several weeks. And every time I tried to do that, the Lord was very clear with me that I was not to do that, that I was to jump into a certain scripture that we're going to jump into today. And so if I were to give a title to this message, I would call it a scary list. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, a scary list. Look at your second choice neighbor that's going to feel a little bit humiliated that you chose him second and say, a scary list list. That was always offensive to me when I was sitting in the middle of someone and they would say, look at your neighbor, and they would go, and look at the other neighbor. That was always kind of offensive, so hopefully you don't feel too offended. But a scary list, and we'll jump into our scripture, and maybe it'll give some more context to that meaning. It's in the book of Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. Listen to this, and don't get too scared, but just, it it is sobering. It says, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's a scary list. It's a list of people that are living in a way that contrasts God's laws. They're not following the life that God had designed them to follow. Okay, so they're disobeying the Lord, and there's judgment that comes to them. Now, I want to add a caveat, and we'll explain the caveat a little bit more. Um, I, I don't want you to mishear what I'm about to say. So give me a second to explain it before we before you interpret what I'm trying to say in a way that I'm not trying to communicate it, okay? So just give me a little grace here. But This list, a lot of the things in this list, a lot of the people in this list, we know judgment comes to them. Like like murderers. 
we understand that that's wrong, right? We understand that that's a sin. Hope, hopefully, we are, raise your hand. You understand that murder is a sin. Everybody here kind of, we agree on that? Good, I'm glad. I didn't want to have to turn my, kind of look over my back when I leave today. Liars. Lying, that's bad, right? You don't, you don't lie. We, we don't really want to do that. Sexual immorality. We know these things are sin, and we have no problem believing that they're sin to the point that there can even be judgment that happens. But what I want to touch on today, and keep in mind, I'm going to add a caveat here in a minute, so don't get too hung up on what I'm about to say. But what I do want to point out is there are two people in this list that might sometimes get ignored and overlooked. If you could see it up there, it says, as for the cowardly and the faithless, the cowardly and the faithless. Well, what is faithfulness? What does it mean to be full of faith? What well, means you believe? It's like that song, I think it's the Dante Bo song, they sang promises. And actually, would you guys mind singing that at the altar whenever we, we do the altar? That, that was actually the song that I listened to when I was preparing for this sermon, by the way. Especially that bridge, the, the faith in Jesus anchored to the ground. God put that on my heart when I was preparing for this. So it was actually pretty cool that that linked up. Isn't that kind of crazy how God moves like that? But there's this sense as Christians that we're supposed to have that is us basically just full reliance on God, full trust in Jesus, that we believe him, we're going to follow him. That, that's important. God would tell people, Jesus would tell people in the New Testament, your faith has made you whole. Paul would say in the letters that it's through faith that brings salvation. The opposite of faith would be faithlessness. Confidence in God, the opposite of that would be cowardice. Now, I'm not telling you that if you are afraid of spiders, that you're going to hell. Thank the Lord, because I actually sent Callie something this morning on Instagram, and it said that theoretically there are enough spiders in the world that if they joined together, they could eat the entire human race in under a year. That is enough to make me just want to go live in a monastery somewhere and have like bug killer in, my, in every single part of my room. I'm, I'm not really afraid of spiders, but that fact scares me a little bit. So I'm not saying if you're afraid of spiders, even the human race, that you're going to hell or that judgment's coming. Or that if you get a little bit nervous when you public speak, that that's a sin. Thank the Lord because I was a little bit nervous this morning. So I'm not saying that Judgment comes to people who deal with feelings of fear or feelings of anxiety or feelings of trepidation towards certain things. But it is possible biblically, and I want to point, it's actually not going to be on the screen, but I'm just going to kind of allude to a story in the book of Numbers that's very sobering to me. And it's in Numbers chapter 13. It is possible to be like the Israelites when they came back with a bad report from spying out the promised land. There were 12 spies that were sent. They all represented the different tribes of Israel. They were sent to the promised land. And 10 of them, all except Joshua and Caleb, came back with a bad report. They said, yes, God is right in the fact that it's a good land. God said, this land is great. This land is beautiful. It's going to be spacious and bountiful. But they said, God is wrong in that we can't take this land. They said God was right that it's beautiful, but he was wrong that we can have it. Does that mean just kind of let that one sit in for a second? They are essentially saying God was incorrect. And because of their lack of faith and trust in God, 
they actually weren't even permitted to go into the promised land because they refused to trust God. In fact, one of the, I don't have it in my notes, but he said to Moses, why will these people rebel against me and refuse to believe me despite all the things I've done in their sight? They had no excuse. They didn't have an excuse. They knew that God was powerful. They'd seen him come through before. And they chose to not believe. They chose to exalt their fear over their faith and trust in God. I'm not telling you that there's judgment that comes to us because we're a little bit nervous about something. But there can come a point that fear goes beyond an emotion and a feeling and becomes an idol. The thing that we are afraid of can get so big, so impactful in our own life that we start making decisions to do things or to not do things, not based out of our trust in God, but based out of what we're afraid of. Now, I want to point something out to you this morning. I am not preaching this to you as someone who feels like I have this figured out, okay? Recently, there have been a lot of changes that have happened in my life. This year, my life has been 100% turned upside down. I moved an hour away from where I, where I was living previously. I'm getting married next month. Everybody give Callie a big hand. Super excited for that. Pretty lucky for that. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's, that's huge. Uh, started here at Living Waters. Got, you know, had to get the housing situation figured out, had to get wedding details figured out, had to deal with actually a a sickness that I've been the sickest I've ever been this year, Um, by far, significantly more sick than I've ever been. In fact, the first time I was scheduled to preach here, I got in a car wreck and it re, that was kind of loud, did you hear how it kind of made a little boof, well now that I've got your attention, I was in a car wreck, boof. And uh, it re-aggravated an injury that I had already had, and then I was very sick um, leading up to that point, but even more so after. So I didn't even get to preach the first time I was scheduled. My dad had to come and save me, and my dad came and preached here on Sunday morning. He did a great job, I heard, but nonetheless, that kind of shook my confidence a little bit. Because I had all these changes, my world was kind of turned upside down, and I started feeling the emotion of fear. Started feeling that, that, that emotion and that, that feeling of, God, what, what's going on? Like, I'm in your will. I'm doing what, you're, what I'm called to do. But what, why is everything, be, why is there so many challenges? Why is all this going on? In fact, um, this year, I got mad at a, at a preacher. Uh, he's, he's my marriage counselor as well, but I got mad at him. That's not why I was mad at him. <laughs> he's a great marriage counselor. He agrees with Callie a lot, so that means he's a really good marriage counselor. But I got mad at him because he prophesied something over me. He said, man, this season, basically my season, it's going to be bountiful. And I'm like, yes, God. I'm like, oh, my God. You know how you get when you get a good prophecy. You're like, oh, you get your knees going. You know how charismatic Pentecostals do their prophecy time. Yeah, your knees going, oh, Holy Ghost, yes, God. And he's like, it's going to be great, and you're going to have all this great stuff. And I'm like, yes, Lord. And so I leave that church service, and I'm like, God, that's amazing. That sounds great. So I'm just kind of like, you know, just walking into my next season. And then I start getting sick, and I start having issues. I start having to learn all these new skills and, like, figuring out, like, when I say skills, I mean, like, grown-up people skills, like how to not make your landlord mad that you have a dog and you're not supposed to have a dog, those types of skills. 
So I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, I thought you said this was going to be easy. I thought it was going to be easy. And I ended up, I ended up for like a week, I got a little bit like confused. I was like, God, you told me that this was going to be so good. You said that this was like, like what I, what I mean by this is like this season. This season was going to be so easy, so joyful. And I've been sick. I've, I was in a car wreck. I've got to figure out financial stuff now. I'm like, what's going on? And he took me back to Numbers 13. The Israelites had the promised land promised to them. But there were giants in the land. There was still a reason to be afraid. So what did they do? Well, they didn't handle it correctly. What they did was they said, the giants, the problems are bigger than the promise of God. And what I had felt in my heart was a conviction to not trust in the challenges and the issues that I am facing in my season more than the words of God that have been released both in the Bible and prophetically over mine and Callie's life. To trust those things, to magnify those things more than the waters that I'm walking through. So thankfully the Lord has turned a lot of that stuff around and I'm doing a lot better. I actually got a good testimony. I wanted to share this real quick. I had a good testimony this past week from my doctor. My kidneys were way messed up um, earlier this year and I got a a perfect bill of health. They said that um, it's actually better than expected. So hallelujah to the Lord for that. I had a lot of concerns. I was going to have to go see a specialist and everything, and they, they said that um, it's actually 100%. It's 100% now. Like, I'm 100% healed in my kidneys, which is crazy. Like, I don't want to blow past that. But it's in those moments, though, before you get the good report that your faith is actually challenged. It's before you can see the results that you can know if you're living in faith or not. So this message is not a rebuke. This is not me saying that people are doing this wrong. It's an encouragement from a season of life that I'm actually in right now exalt God's promises above the fearful things that you're going through. So I've told you that it's important. We read a pretty scary scripture. We, we, we read Revelation. We talked about the Israelites who failed God and lost their promise. Now, what can we do about that? How can we handle fear that challenges us in our, in our life? And I, I think that Isaiah book of Isaiah has some good things about that. So if you could open your Bibles with me one more time to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 5. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 5. We'll start in verse uh, 1. It says, but now thus says the Lord, listen to this, he who created you, thus says the Lord, he who created you. Oh, Jacob, he who, what's that word? Formed you. Oh, Israel, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. That's a kind of long verse, and a lot of it 
you know, could kind of get mushed up. So I think we can maybe break some things down. In fact, we'll break four things down from this verse, from these verses that I think apply to our, to our conversation today. God commanded them, fear not. It's on the screen. But he also gave a list of reasons why not to fear. Let me start with the first one here. He said he created them and he formed them. Are there any moms in the house today? Any, any moms? You love your kids? Moms, you guys love your kids? Can you put your hands together for your amazing kids? Have you ever told your kids, I brought you into this world? Brought you into this world, can take you out. You ever heard that one? It's pretty cliche. Well, you know, like whenever, like I remember when I was growing up at my parents' house. If I made my mom mad, if I made my dad mad, that wasn't great. But if I made my mom mad, it's a little different. A little bit different when my mom got mad. If I brought you into this world, I'm going to take you out. She still hasn't let me live down the fact that she birthed me. I thought that eventually I would do enough good things that we were even, but evidently I'm never going to be even with that. That she's always going to have that leverage on me that she brought me into the world. So I guess I'm kind of stuck with that for the rest of my life. And by the way, she might be watching, so wherever the camera is, I love you, Mom. Anyway. God formed his people. He actually formed everything. God made the devil. He didn't make him in his current state. But he created an angel, gave him power and authority, and the devil twisted the authority and power that was given to him by God. Everything originated from God. Why do we not be afraid? Why is it logical for us to choose faith and trust in God over fear because the person who is telling you to trust him is the person who made everything you have ever seen in your entire life he did not send the storm but he made the clouds he didn't send the problem he did, it's not I do, I do not believe that the lord sends the 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 problems into our life But he is the one that redeems them and can use them for his glory and your joy. He's the creator. So it is logical for us to trust in him more than our own emotions, more than our own feelings, or any attack or uh, 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 issue that the devil might try to bring to our life. I am not going to exalt the enemy who was created over the one who was not created and created everything else. The reason I can choose to resist fear is because God made me. And what he says, if he's the one that turned the lights on in the universe, I can know he made me, he made everything, and he can sustain me. Whatever it is that I'm going through, I can trust that he's going to be able to take care of me. Why don't you go ahead and put your hands together if you know that he made you and he can sustain you. It's a big deal, actually. And I think that's why he started the conversation. He's saying, hey, Jacob, Israel, uh, hold on a second. You're afraid of a creation, but I'm the one that made it. So don't exalt that over me. That's why I believe he started this, this passage that way, because he was reminding them of their origin. So if you're writing notes, I wrote this down here. Fear the factory. The first way you choose not to be afraid is you fear the factory. God is the factory. He's the one that made everything. I'm not going to be afraid of anything else that he made. Amen? Number two, look at your neighbor and say, not alone. Look at your second choice neighbor and say, not alone. 
He didn't just say, don't be afraid, and that he created them. He said, fear not, listen to this, because I am with you. I will be with you when you go through the rivers. And when you pass through the waters, they'll not overwhelm you. With you in the fire, with you in the waters. Sometimes just the knowledge that you're not alone can be enough to alleviate fear. In fact, like, you know, like when, you're, when you were a kid, think about that, and you got scared, you would go and lay down with your mom and dad in their bed, right? You use mom and dad, I'm scared, and they would hug you. And hug. Well, generally what I was afraid of, my dad was not going to be able to help. Okay, let me just give you an example. If you're afraid of the boogeyman as a kid, he could eat your dad too, okay? He's probably, I mean, there's a lot of people afraid of the boogeyman. So your dad might be big and strong, but the reality is he can't protect you from that. But just being with your dad, just being with your mom is enough to not feel so afraid. You you don't have that same fear just because you know you're not isolated. How much more can we trust in being in God's presence than being in the presence of someone else. If just being around another human helps us to resist fear, how much more knowing that God is with us, the one that created everything, he's with us, and he's not just with us to watch us suffer, he's with us to help us learn, to grow, and to be delivered from the suffering. He's not just there to say, okay, I'm going to watch you, but you're just, you're, everything's going to fail. I'm not going to help you. You're on your own in terms of like moral support. I'm just going to watch it all. He's with you. He's holding your hands. And he said, when you go through the waters, they're not going to overwhelm you. There are waters. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But because God is with you in them, you're not going to be overwhelmed. Uh, does anybody like Johnny Cash? Hey, raise your hand if you like Johnny Cash. I actually really like Johnny Cash. Fred, I did not know that you like Johnny Cash, so we're going to have to talk about that later because I love Johnny Cash. I actually have a Johnny Cash t-shirt that me and my nephew both have, and we have a picture of me holding a Gretsch guitar and Johnny Cash shirts. It's actually kind of cool. I also really loved his his song, Lucky Old Son. Have you all ever heard that one? Lucky Old Son. Has anyone heard that song? Okay, Ben, you've heard that song. I like that song because he's talking about how he wants to be lazy and lay around all day and do nothing. And that is my life story. I really don't ever want to do anything. Anything I have to do, I have to do it by sheer willpower because I'd love to be lazy all the time. So I would work, when I was working, I would sing that song, Lucky Old Son, Got Nothing to Do But Roll Around Heaven All Day. And that was what I would say to help me get through my thing. I'm like, like, as soon as I get off, I get to go take a nap. That was what I liked about that song. But one of Johnny Cash's other famous songs is a song called Hurt. And the song talks about everyone he knows goes away in the end. Now, that's true in a sense for a lot of people. That there will be people who will leave us and forsake us. Not everyone is a faithful person. Now, praise God for the ones that are faithful. The ones that do stay in our life and the real friends and the real people that stick with us. But sometimes people do leave us. But in Johnny Cash's music video for this, for this song, the end of it is a flashing picture of a cross. And the point was, Jesus never leaves you. He's not going to forsake you. When you go through problems, the reason you don't have to fear the problem is because you know Jesus is not like the people that left your life. 
And I think there might be some of you here today that maybe you've been rejected by certain people. Maybe it was a boyfriend, maybe it was a girlfriend, maybe it was, you know, a family member or a friend or something. And that rejection can actually sometimes be translated into our walk with God. We can think because this person left me, God is going to be like them. He's not going to be faithful because my parents left me or my friends left me or my wife or husband left me. God, you start maybe, you know, like accidentally portraying that attribute to God. I'm here to tell you, he's not like that. He's not going to run out on you when things are hard. He doesn't reject you just because things are getting kind of dicey. He loves jumping into the, the foxhole with you and jumping into the trenches with you and living the life that he's called you to live right there beside you. You're not alone. That's why you don't have to fear because you're not by yourself. You don't ever have to feel isolated from God. Even if you're not hearing him right now, he is still there with you and he's still gonna help you and you're not gonna be overwhelmed. If you believe that, why don't you give him a big hand right now to know that you're never gonna have to live this life by yourself. So far, number one, fear the factory. Number two, not alone. Number three, surprised by storms. He said, and this is a little bit unfortunate, he said that we're gonna go through waters we're going to go through rivers, and we're going to go through fire. I wish that he didn't say that. I don't like what Jesus said when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. If I was there when he said that, I would be like, if I wasn't paying attention, I would, what? I, I thought I'm with you. I, I, I'm with you. You're never going to have any trouble, right? I mean, you're Jesus. I'm following you. I'm never going to have trouble. And I think actually the disciples thought that too. Because you remember the story when they were in the boat and Jesus was sleeping in the, in the bottom of the boat and they're, they're up there and I can just imagine them like, Peter, grab, throw that thing off the edge and grab the anchor, turn left, John. And they're all fighting and screaming and freaked out and scared they're going to die. And then they finally go down to Jesus and they act surprised. They say, Lord, don't you know that we're perishing? Don't you care that we're perishing? Well, Jesus got in the boat with them, told them to go to the other side. They were doing exactly what God had told them to do. They were on the right track. They didn't miss God. They weren't in sin. They were on the right track. But they were surprised when a storm came. They were surprised that there was opposition. And Jesus actually corrected them. He said, no, you need to have faith. He said, he said, why did we said, why were you afraid of you little faith? I don't think he was being mean. I think what he was doing was reminding them, you're gonna have storms in life. That's not the question. The question is, can you still believe me in the middle of those storms? Can you still trust God when you're going through the rivers, when you're going through the waters, when you're going through the fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did they still trust God as they were being thrown into a furnace? God didn't take the furnace away. Jesus didn't take the storms away initially. They went through it. He didn't send it, but they still went through it. And it was in those moments that their faith was tested. They had to, Jesus wanted them to know, it doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what problems you're going through right now. You can still trust me that I will deliver you from them. In fact, recently I was praying about something and as I was praying, this, this phrase came up in my heart. 
And I said, God, I want to trust you as much right now in the middle of this problem as I will whenever this answer comes. I want to trust you right now when all I can see is this challenge. I really don't see a way out yet. I don't have a mental plan mapped out yet. But I want to trust you as much now as I will whenever this gets resolved. And it wasn't necessarily an emotional trust. It wasn't like instantly all my emotions went away and I was just happy the rest of the day. I still had to fight it. But in the end, God did actually move in that specific situation. Faith does not deny problems. Faith doesn't say that, you know, the problem's not happening. Like if you're sick, you don't say, I'm not sick. You don't defy the problem. I'm sorry, you don't, you don't deny the problem. You don't say the problem isn't there. Faith doesn't deny the problem. It defies the problem. It doesn't say the problem's not there. It says the problem is here, but so is Jesus. The problem is here. I am encountering something. I am going through something. This is hard. This is difficult. Yes, it hurts. Yes, I'm upset. Yes, this is not easy in my life right now. But I'm going to trust that he is going to bring me out. I am in the waters right now. I'm in the fire right now. But I'm not going to trust these things. I'm not going to exalt God above, I'm sorry, I'm not going to exalt the problems above God. I'm going to exalt God above my problems, amen. Doesn't deny the problem. It defies it. I'm not trying to tell you that like if you're going through something, you say, oh, I'm not going through anything and everything's so great. And you have this like toxic positivity where we try and just ignore issues and don't address them and don't seek help and don't seek prayer and just say, oh, I'm I'm in faith and so I'm just going to, you know, not do the things in in the natural that I should be doing. I'm not telling you that. But what I am trying to say is that God's word makes it clear that we will go through problems, yet we're still expected to trust him. And it's not a blind trust. I think sometimes what can happen in church and in Christianity is that people assume, like, let me think how to say this nicely. Have you ever said something you didn't know how, you didn't really understand what you were saying? Have you ever said something like you, you tried to like, maybe you tried to sound smart in a conversation and you were, you're just saying stuff and then you're like, yeah, I also photosynthesize on the weekends. Because you just want to sound smart. You're like, you're like yeah, I, I, I'd love to have some supercalifragilisticexpialidocious on my sandwich. That tastes great. It's from France, right? France, right? We got some French sauce on my sandwich, right? You're trying to sound smart. You're trying to be cute with something. Well, sometimes what I think can happen, and I've seen this in my own life, I would tell people, trust God. But I didn't actually know what that meant. I would say trust God because I was trained to say that. I I just, I've grown up in church. That's just what I thought to say. Trust God. But I had a reminder from the Holy Spirit this year to examine what that actually means. When I say trust God to someone that's going through a family crisis, am I just saying that to make them feel better? Just trust God and it's just a spiritual thing. I'm I'm just saying as a little spiritual ibuprofen to make them feel a little bit better, but not expect anything to happen, not expect God to move, not expect anything to happen in their life? Or am I actually saying it as a place of confidence that when we do trust God, he moves in the situation? He intervenes. And sometimes the intervention doesn't look the way that we thought it would. It doesn't always look exactly the same for everybody. And it's not always the same way that God moves, but I can trust that he'll move. I can trust that he's in it. 
that he's going to do something. And so for me, what I had to check within my own heart was to not become desensitized to the word faith or to the word trust or belief because those things are powerful. But if I let it, I can let go of what they actually mean. I don't want to do that. I don't want to fall into the, the same issues that the Israelites fell into because they didn't understand what faith and trust in God actually looked like. I want to trust him. Have a firm reliance that what he says he can do. To not get my eyes on the waves like Peter did. Remember that story? Peter was walking on the water. He's walking on water, people. I mean, like, that, sometimes the disciples, I really feel like God chose them because they were dumb, and he wanted to show his power through some, some really dumb people, okay? Peter is walking on water. I've tried that when I was a kid. I tried to run real fast and see if I could do it. And I, for what it's worth, I can't. But he's walking on water. He, it's, and it's not, just like, it's not just like calm, peaceful water in like the Maldives or something like that, real pretty, you know, like beach water. It's a storm. He's walking on waves. I don't know if he's like going through the waves or if he's like walking on top of the waves as they're coming down, but that's a crazy situation. But when he started to sink, and you've heard this before, but when he started to sink was when he stopped looking at Jesus and started looking at the waves. The waves are supposed to be under his feet. Supposed to keep his eye on Jesus and the problems he was going to walk on them. But he started looking down. Imagine that for a second. Looking away from Jesus in your walk with him. Imagine that he's called you to do something and you're walking towards him and you start looking away from him. I think we would all agree that's not a, that's not a good idea. And Jesus said, hey, why did you doubt? Why did you, why did you do that? You were doing good. I don't think he was rebuking him from a, from a place of like, you, you, you're the worst, you stink, this sort of thing. But he was saying, you know, you were doing, do what you were just doing. Trust in me. Keep your eyes on me. And again, I don't want to tell you that I'm preaching this from a place of feeling like, feeling like I have it figured out. Because I don't. I, I, there, I have so much room for growth in this area. I have to battle this sometimes even now where I have to learn, God, okay, redirect me. I need to trust you. But just because it's a challenge right now doesn't mean that I can just say, oh, well, I'm not good at it and not do anything about it. Growth. Learn to trust God. Learn to exalt him over our problems. And then the fourth and final point today, know your worth. Look at your neighbor and say, know your worth. Are there any dads in here that have daughters? Any dads have daughters? When I first met Pastor Stephen, he referred to Jana as his princess. Anytime I would talk to him about, about his kids, he, said, he refers to her as his princess. My dad does not love my sisters more than me, I don't think. But he, there is a difference. When I, when I, when I met, when, I, like, when, when, he, when my sister got married, he was just, he was mad. Not mad, not mad, but like, you know, he's like, who's this guy? And I got to meet him, shake his hand. He's like kind of more intense. And when I met Callie, he's like, oh my gosh, welcome to the family. I love, you're so great. Have a seat. You can have all our food and it's great. You know, it's not that he loves, you know, that he loves my wife any more than he loves my sister's husband. It's just a little different. Your daughter is just a little different. Well, in this scripture, 
God told the people, listen, he said, I give Egypt as your ransom. I give these other nations in exchange for you. Because, listen to this, you are precious in my eyes. And honored. And I love you. I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life. In this passage, he was telling the Israelites, I choose you. Like the people of God, he was saying, you're special to me. You're you're honored, you're precious. And that was in the same breath as he said, fear not. Don't be afraid because I love you. Why do we not let fear rule our lives? Why, why can we choose not to be afraid? Well, among other things, it's because God loves us. Any, any of you dads with daughters, if your daughter came into your lap and she was scared, what would you do? You would love her. You would reassure her. You would comfort her. Let her know how you feel about her. And it's not just with the daughters. It's with the sons. It's with everybody. If your child came to you and was nervous and afraid of something, you would come and you would hold them and reassure them. And what happens actually in that moment scientifically is they say when babies have parents who love them, their brains get wired for love. They start believing that they're loved. They start having a confidence because they're loved. A lot of times, insecurities can come from a negative relationship with someone who loves you. Not all the time. It doesn't always happen that way. But sometimes it can happen that way. That there are insecurities that we can face. Fear and anxiety and worry that we can face because we didn't get the love we needed. Someone failed us. That brings fear. But God's word said we didn't receive the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But the spirit of, you know the word? The spirit of adoption. Everybody say adoption. The spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The words in that scripture, it meant Father, Father. Daddy, God. Miss Dolores always encourages me. Because anytime she talks to me about the Lord, I feel like I'm being hugged and a warm blanket comes on me and someone handed me a cup of tea and is praying for me. That's how it feels every time she ever talks to me about the Lord. I feel this love, this tenderness. I miss Doris. I think I've even heard you call God Daddy before. I love that actually. And I know like I have a friend that makes fun of people who say Daddy God. But I actually do like that term to an extent because it's this emotional connection to God that's saying, God, you're my father. I trust you. And you're not, you're not going to compare yourself and your goodness and your love for me to the people in my life, whether they're good or bad. No matter how good my friends and family have been, and no matter how bad my friends and family have been, your love is infinitely greater than theirs. It doesn't matter if it's been a problem or a challenge with the relationships that I've had in my life. It doesn't matter if it's been great with the relationships that I've had in my life. God's love 
is infinitely greater. So if you could just maybe bow your heads and close your eyes for a second. I just felt in my heart that there might be someone here who, maybe that's been a a struggle for you. The love thing in your relationships, in your life, and maybe even in your walk with God has been a struggle. Sometimes it is hard to trust that God loves us. Maybe it's because of a circumstance or because of previous relationships. And if that's you this morning, I just want you, maybe for the first time in a while, to open your heart up to the fact that God loves you. You're precious to Him. You're special to Him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to pray for you today. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but... In a minute, we're going to have our altar workers come up. And I do want you to maybe go and have them pray for you. To receive God's love to the point that you are able to get out of a fearful situation. Get out of the anxiety and trust Him. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your people here today. God, I thank you that no matter what they've gone through, no matter who they are, in the name of Jesus, I call for a release from a spirit of fear. I call for a release of a spirit of faith. Your word says that we have received a spirit of faith. So that means that faith can be a spiritual thing that is received. I release that over everyone here today. Situations, circumstances, bow before Jesus. And we thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. Would everyone in this room stand up this morning? Everybody standing. And then if the altar team wanted to, you guys can come on down. If you need prayer for any of the specific topics that we talked about, you you need to receive God's love. You need to uh, uh, um, know your worth, whatever, anything like that. Or maybe you just have been battling with fear and trust in God and you need him to help you and to empower you. Here's what I want you to do. And I want you to listen very carefully. I don't want you to feel embarrassed or condemned if you struggle with fear. If you feel embarrassed and condemned for struggling with fear, that defeats the purpose. Defeats the purpose of this message. God did not tell his people not to fear, to embarrass them. He said it because he knows they can live a higher life than a life bound by fear. He had something better for them than anxiety. It's not embarrassing to struggle. It's just a call to run to your father. And so this morning, if you need help in this area of trusting God and receiving freedom from fear or any of these other things that we kind of briefly mentioned, I want you to go ahead right now and come find one of these altar workers. And let them pray with you. Be honest. Let them be able to join with you and be, be a part of that, that, that journey that you're on with fear and with trusting God. Let them be a part of that. And I don't know if you guys can go ahead and maybe sing that bridge. Would that be okay? We're going to let them do that, and then we're just going to pray together for a little bit. So let's go ahead. If you need to, come on down to these altar workers, and then we'll pray, and then we'll come back and close it out. I put my faith in Jesus. My anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation, he'll never let me down. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. Put 
It's not like a, a generic thing where he, he kind of views it only as a group. I mean, obviously we are a group, we are the church. But it's also a personal thing. He's faithful to you, to whatever you've gone through. He sees your specific, individual, isolated circumstance and is showing his faithfulness to you in that way. God, we thank you for your word. God, help us to grow in our trust and our, our ability to have faith and confidence in who you are and in who we are in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, well, give Pastor Riley a big hand as he comes. Let's give Pastor John a big hand. available. Uh, any prayer, it could be something going on uh, other than his message, but I tell you, what a, what a, what a powerful message. I just, man, just a needed message today in trusting God in the midst of fear and circumstances. So Lord, we just thank you for that anointing to change us and to walk this out in a deeper way this week, Lord God. And uh, thank you, Lord, that you are uh, you are faithful to me, to each one of us in our certain circumstance. It doesn't matter what it looks like, Lord. You are faithful to us. Thank you, Lord God. You are blessed to have a great week. Uh, we're here for you. Let us know how we can serve you. And um, feel free to receive prayer, do some more worship, or visit the gathering place. Have a great week. Love you. Say